All right. Give honor to God and all the saints, thanking God for the privilege of prayer. Tonight's topic is Black history is spiritual warfare. So we we, we have some great uh, information and knowledge. We'll be looking at some, what is spiritual warfare? We'll give a definition first and foremost. Thereafter, we'll look at some spiritual warfare scriptures to keep us built up strong warriors uh is no other way to make it but to be built up on god's word you know i just played a great record wait on the lord i'll play that at the end uh so we'll also be looking at waging spiritual warfare on racial injustice Ra waging spiritual warfare on racial injustice that's uh one of the readings we'll do after the scriptures and then we're going to finish up with black history month we're looking at a salute to historic black first and you know um i'm uh it's just amazing that i'm helping someone with a lawsuit and um their lawsuit is regarding a medical uh major medical facility and bottom line is they're doing these heart experiments on you know uh, just uh, all of these minority people of color and there are no people of color in the higher higher ranks, the leadership of this hospital. And the one person that is in there as a researcher, they, they, they just mis mistreated her so bad. So it's just so clear to me how eugenicists are like taking over hospitals under the disguise of research and uh, using black people as guinea pigs, basically. And um, it, 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 it hit me because last week we did the uh, open heart, the first black open heart, the first black or white. No other person had done the open heart surgery. His name was uh, what, Dr. William, uh, Dr. I think Daniel Hale Williams, right? The first open heart surgery. And I, I just find it amazing that this man was the first black man that did an open heart surgery. And these people are constantly working on doing black people's heart in, giving them some type of heart disease. It's just, it's so demonic. It's it's like, you know, the envy from having the first heart surgery to come from Dr. Daniel Hale Williams. And now later on in life, out of envy, you're, taking out more black people with heart disease than anything else. It's just so sad. So, but anyway, with, uh, with that being said, we're going to go right into our prayer and then we'll go into our spiritual warfare scriptures. And then we'll go into racial injustice and spiritual warfare. And then we'll look at some more black first. Heavenly Father, God, we give you the praise, the glory. Thank you, God, for the privilege of prayer. Thank you, God, for bringing us through another week. You didn't have to do it, God, but you did. And we give you the praise. We give you the glory. God, we thank you, God, that you give us the spirit to just continue to wait on the Lord and continue to do your will on this earth while we're waiting because we know that faith without works is dead. And we come together, dear God, for the specific purpose of praying for the extermination of eugenics programs on this earth. God, I plead the blood of Jesus, Heavenly Father, that these programs will be killed, executed, exterminated, demolished, destroyed.
that eugenics assassination programming, particularly out of the hospitals, every eugenicist, every eugenic uh, program will be destroyed. Dear God, I place that the eugenics in your hands. I come to you, dear God, through the blood of Jesus Christ. I ask you, God, to stop these demons. I bind and rebuke it, and I bind and rebuke the spirit of ignorance of all these people of color that really believe that something's wrong with them when these people are creating all kinds of programs to induce hospitalized people of color. And, and they're doing it to white people too, but the disproportionate rate is at, on black people. God, I come against it in the name of Jesus. I ask you, God, to bless all black and white people that are being targeted for these programs, dear God. God, you have a way of turning things around. I ask you, God, to use President Trump's experience of being discriminated against, dear God, as reason for him to bring change to America, for him to acknowledge that racial injustice, whether it's the courtroom or the hospital, it's a dirty, dirty way to kill people. It is a filthy way. So God, you have a way of turning things around. We're asking you, God, use that man. Use him or Robert Kennedy, whichever one, dear God, that you believe would be the most effective president for this country to turn, to bind and rebuke this demon, this demon, eugenics killing demon, to remove it off this earth, God, and lead us and direct us who to get in that office. God, we praise you, we exalt you. And every demon, every shadow government, eugenicist, Seeking to build and put, put eugenics programs in hospital after hospital. God, I plead the blood for destruction of that plan, that that plan be destroyed, that eugenics will eugenics uh, programs will be destroyed out of every hospital. Every demon behind it will die, will be killed, that there will be no one to resurrect those programs in the name of Jesus. This is my prayer, that these eugenic programs, these scientific obstructions, these programs that are killing people, Heavenly Father, they will be destroyed. God, I ask you to shield all of your people, dear God, from these programs. God, we need decent dentists. We need decent doctors, Heavenly Father. God, we need your divine intervention. Lead us, guide us where to go, what to do. Stop these demons in the name of Jesus, Heavenly Father. Can't be done without your people, Heavenly Father. Touch your people. Bind up that secrecy curse that's allowing this program to continue. God, give those that are getting that sick V2K. Give them the strength to deal, dear God. God, don't let that thing destroy them and destroy their personalities. I plead the blood of Jesus on my nephews who've been subjected to V2K. That is a horrific human experimentation program. God, they're trying to play with his mind, but I put him in your hands in the name of Jesus. Cover him with your blood. Cover both of them, Elijah Scott with your blood, Haru Scott with your blood. God, Heavenly Father, I need divine intervention to keep that family together. God, I ask you to bless those that are here with us tonight. My brother Melvin, Heavenly Father, cover him with your blood and his going out and his coming in. Bless my sister Cassandra, Heavenly Father, with her going out and coming in. I thank you, God, for just sending that prayer warrior that she's so strong in the Lord. And you know, Lord, we needed some strong prayer warriors up in here. So I thank you immensely, God. I actually, Lord, I pray for Pastor Millicent, another strong warrior, dear God. Give her the strength to continue going on, continue moving on, Heavenly Father, and being that warrior that you created her to be. 
God, we love you. God, we adore you. And I ask you, Lord, to just give me more time to uh, get my this prayer program out. You know, Melvin told me about YouTube, and I know, but all of that takes time. I, I don't even my website. You know, there's just so many things that have to be done. Heavenly Father, make a way that I can move this this prayer program uh, to the program that you would have it be because I have not been able to. I haven't had the time to really put into it. So, Heavenly Father, you know what's best. And I actually, but you know, God, I'd rather two or three honest people that love you and want to pray than, a, than 50 people and have to worry about who's a perp and who's not a perp. So I thank you, God, that you brought me this far. I've been doing this for many years now. But the spirit of God is telling me it may be time to take it to another level. So I ask you, Lord, to guide and lead me with that. Heavenly Father, I ask you, God, to cover each and every one of our health. Shield us, Heavenly Father, from these demon attacks. Cover us. Don't let not one eugenic program hit us, dear God. We were not born to be sick. We were not born to be <laughs> to be uh, demons' uh, um, experiments. We bind, We reverse the curse. We know that we have authority over demon forces. We bind it. We rebuke demons trying to take authority over us with the blood of Jesus gives us our authority. And we thank you, God, for the authority to be able to rebuke them demons. So, Heavenly Father, we rebuke the demons off of our health in the name of Jesus. We are, we are healthy. We're going to live a long life of longevity. We're going to complete the work that you have for us to complete. And we give you, God, all the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Amen, amen. So, Father God, we come in for the name of Jesus. We thank you. Is it, is it my time to pray? Let me pray now. Yes, yes, yes. So, Father God, we come before in the name of Jesus. Oh, God, we just thank you for being so good to us. We come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, we plead in the, plead in the blood of Jesus Christ over um, Minister Miriam, Melvin, myself, and any other true person that on the line, we plead the blood over this line, over this call in the name of Jesus. Oh, God, we thank you for this beautiful day you brought us through. We thank you, God, for giving us safe traveling mercies to and from wherever we went, our destination. God, we thank you, God, for being such a great God to us. Most of all, I thank you, God, for the great gift of salvation. I thank you, God, for being our God. Oh, God, our God, we love you today, Lord. We appreciate you. We honor you. We magnify and exalt your holy, magnificent, righteous name. You are such a great God. Hallelujah. We are so privileged to have you. Yes, God, I thank you for the great gift of salvation. I thank you for this line. I thank you, Father God, for this prayer. And I thank you for Minister Miriam, Father. I thank you, Father God, for the um, targeted justice that you brought me into in regards to the um, help that I need. I just thank you, Father God, for the support. I just thank you. I pray that you continue to watch over us the rest of this evening and night. Keep us covered with your blood, God. Continue to give your angels charge over us. In the name of Jesus, I pray, oh God, you bless us all. Even in on this line tonight, God, bless us. What our mouths in Jesus' name. Yes, God, I pray you anoint the conversations and the prayer, Father. In the name of Jesus, we thank you for such a wonderful opportunity to even have this program, Father. We thank you how given our wisdom, Father God, even this black history, Father, and the month of information, Father God, I've acquired just if we're listening on this line. I just thank you, Father God. Hallelujah. I pray you continue to bless our minds, Father, in Jesus' name. Bless 
Minister Miriam, bless her family, Father. Strengthen her, God, the relations will be coming with every demonic, satanic spirit that comes to divide and conquer. We bind the works of the devil off her life, off her blood, on in the name of Jesus. We rebuke that spirit to come to divide and conquer her and from her family. In Jesus' name, Satan, the Lord rebuke you. The blood of Jesus is against you. We bind the works of the devil off her, off her life, off her family. In Jesus' name, we speak and decree and declare deliverance. We lose deliverance, oh God, and we lose relationships, friendships, happiness, and joy peace, O oh God, in her family. In the name of Jesus, O oh God, I pray you touch her, her nephew's heart. In the name of Jesus, O oh God, your word said the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord is the rivers of water, O oh God. And you turn, turn the way you want to turn upon. We pray in the name of Jesus, get a hold to her nephew. God, touch his heart, soften his heart, God. Speak to him, deal with him, draw him by your spirit, O oh God. In the name of Jesus, let him call his mind and, 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 and reunite a good relationship and friendship with her in the name of Jesus, oh God. We pray you watch over Minister Mary, watch over her apartment, Father. I give her peace and protection and safety, oh God, in her apartment in the name of Jesus, oh God. We bind the spirit to come to torment her, to come to bring horrible things and do horrible things in that apartment. We bind it in the name of Jesus. We lose deliverance, deliverance and peace, oh God. We cut into the spirit of, of, of chaos and we lose deliverance and peace, oh God. In the name of Jesus and the order of God, in fact, in all of our lives, in all of our families, in Jesus' name we pray, God. And I pray for Melvin and to bless him, strengthen him, encourage his heart, God. Bless his family. Bless him when he's doing regards to this mistrainer and his job. Bless him, help him, oh God. Strengthen him, oh God. Encourage his heart. Lift him up, oh God. Keep him protected, oh God. In the name of Jesus, we thank you for deliverance and victory. Pray, oh God, for for um minister uh for, for Reverend Nelson. God, we pray and bless her, strengthen her. God bless her for her faithfulness and dedication, Father. In Jesus' name, keep her protected. Give her the victory. God, watch over her family. In Jesus' name, we pray, oh God. And I pray for every treasured person, every person that's being targeted. We bind the spirits, oh God. We thank you for deliverance and victory, God. We know that you are greater. Dear, you said you said greater is He that's in us and He is in the world. We know, Father God, that there's nothing too difficult, nobody too hard for you. There's not too many people or nothing too hard for you, God. Nobody's too many of you, God. You are El Shaddai, God. You are the all-sufficient one. You are the God that's more than enough. You're the almighty God that's north. You're, you, you are L-O-M, God. You are you created us, Father God. How is the person how is the creator going to be overtaken by the, by the creature, Father? We just thank you, Father God, that you are in us and you're for us, oh God, and you're with us, God. So we thank you for your complete deliverance and victory, Father God. We thank you for protection, Father God. In the name of Jesus, we come against these purpose. We bind them. We break all the power and death off our lives from them. In Jesus' name, Satan, the Lord, we you. Take your hands off our life. We come against the spirit of torment, the spirit of a guy starting. We beat and bind every spirit that comes against us to Every form of gang stalking and targeting, and we rebuke and we bind and break his power for our life. We command you to stop it in Jesus' name. You told us, God, behold, I give you power to tread over serpents and scorpions over all the power in me. Nothing that will to harm us. Whatsoever we bind on earth should be bound in heaven. Whatsoever we loose and loose in heaven should be loose. So we bind the works of the devil and the adversary off our body, soul, spirit, off our lives. We bind the spirit to come to kill, steal, and destroy. In Jesus' name, we command you to stop it in Jesus' name. We lose deliverance and victory and the peace of God. We lose privacy and God, the protection of God, freedom, peace, happiness, and joy once again in our lives. In the name of Jesus, I don't care how long it's gone. If nothing, this is stopping now in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, God is the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the same God in the New Testament, the Old Testament, now this, and in Revelation. God, we thank you, Father God. You said the Righteous cry on the Lord here and answer their prayer, and you deliver us out of all, all, all of it. 
trouble, Father, in Jesus' name. So we thank you for deliverance and victory, God. You are our God. You're the same God that heard the cry of the Israelites, Father, God. You hear our cry, Father, God. There's so many treasure people that are true Christians, Father, God. We need deliverance and victory, God. Hear our cry, God. The eyes of the Lord upon the righteous and ears up until their cry. You said the face of the Lord is against the wicked to remove them even up from the remembrance of the earth, Father, God. So we just thank you, Father, God, for being our God, our Father, our Savior. Those of us that don't have, don't have husbands, you're our husband, you're our protector, God, you're our strength, you're our deliverer, you're everything we need and so much more. We thank you, God. Hallelujah. We pray you continue to give us um, great grace, great grace to hold on, Father, God, until the end, Father. We pray you expedite this thing. We thank you for the for the um the lawsuit, we thank you for deliverance and victory, Father God. If you choose to use Anna, Father God, we pray that you can bless her, God, give her wisdom and direction and guidance and favor and peace, oh God. Help, Father God, in the name of Jesus. We pray you touch the hearts of the, the judge and whomever else is involved in this, in the name of Jesus. Turn her, Father God. Turn her for peace and freedom, deliverance and victory in, in every treasured person's life. In the name of Jesus, diabolical prism, I pray you that you just totally annihilated God in the name of Jesus abolish it God in Jesus and we believe in you God you are our God and you and you are our Father we are your children God there's nothing too hard for you God there's nothing too hard for you God you said the the righteous cry and the Lord here and answer their prayer and deliver them out of all their troubles we, we have been righteous those of us who are Christians we've been righteous we've been made righteous through the shed blood of Jesus Christ so we thank you for total deliverance and victory God give us peace comfort and strengthen your people help us oh God even we bread on give us sweet to sweet peaceful sleep, God. You're greater. Show yourself strong and mighty, God. Greater is he that's in us than he is. Well, you're greater than anything or anybody, God. How long care if there's fifty billion is is not 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 enough for you, Father God. In the name of Jesus, not too much for you in Jesus' name, God. So we thank you, Father. Give us wisdom how to deal with every situation that comes our come our way. In the name of Jesus, help us to shield ourselves and protect ourselves, oh God. And you do the rest in your angels, oh God, in Jesus' name, God. Cover every door, every window of our home homes and our dwelling places with your blood, God, every room, the very atmosphere in our homes with your blood. In the name of Jesus, even as we sleep, watch over us, God. Give us sweet sleep, as I said, peaceful sleep. You said you give your beloved sweet sleep. Give us sweet, peaceful sleep, God. Keep us, oh God. Hide us in the hall of your hand, God. In the name of Jesus, deliver us from evil, God. And I pray you continue to bless uh, Minister Miriam, bless this um, ministry, and that she has this prayer. Bless her, God. Bless her, God. In the name of Jesus, send true people in, Father. God, the true prayer warriors, Father God, that are about your business, who really want to pray, and, oh God, are, who are, are really truthful, Father, in the name of Jesus, and dedicated to prayer, Father, in the name of Jesus, intervene, God, help us, oh God, deliver us from evil this day, God, and this night, and the rest of our day, in Jesus' name, and we pray, God, we call it done, in Jesus' name, amen, and amen, thank you for the answer, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Anybody? Marion. Hi, Melvin. Hey. I, I'm I'm talking and I'm muted. Sorry about that. I was talking all this time when you finished. I said, "Praise the Lord." Can you hear me now? Yes, yeah. we hear you now. Hello? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, we can hear you. We can hear you now. Amen. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Um, Mel, you want to pray? Welcome 260. I don't know who's 260. Is that that girl? What was her name? Constance? 
Welcome to 260. They decided Thank to you. Oh, yeah, there it is. Hi, who's that, Constance? This is Regina. Regina who? Hi, Regina. Hi. You, you know Regina? Um, yeah, I know Regina. Well, welcome, Regina. Welcome. Thank to you. Warriors needed because prayer warriors are needed. Excellent. Um, we're just praying for the shutdown of this program, and we're doing spiritual warfare for the shutdown of this program, and we're celebrating uh, Black History Month. So welcome, and you're welcome to pray with us. Would you like to pray? Not right now. This is my first time on, but I I really like this concept. Um, I'm going to oh. listen, and next time I'm going to pray. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Go ahead, Mel. You want to pray? Yeah. Okay. Father God, I want to ask that you continue to ground us, Father God, ground us away from this, this targeting. Ground, ground us away. Ground us and keep us strengthened from, from these sick individuals out, out there that, that's, doing, that's doing these targeting campaigns on targeted individuals, Father God. I want you to continue to strengthen us, Father God. Show us the way. Um, shield us from, from these attacks that come our way, Father God. And I know, Father God, like her own, continue to, um, you, you know, bless our families as, as well. Because, like, we're going through our, our individual thing, Father God. I know, like, they have the ups and downs, too, Father God. So try to find a way to, um, like, like open the doors to our family members so they won't become a part of this targeting, so they won't go astray for the God. So, um, I'm going to continue to pray on that. But, but Father God, try, try, try to keep us close to our families and our loved ones. Well, whatever trials and stuff that we may be going through, just try to find a way for us to come come back together, Father God. Um, you 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 know. Like, like we're gonna stay together, and we're gonna continue to get stronger, and continue to fight off this this targeting campaign together for the God. And um, we're gonna keep praying on this call that one day these sick terminal games will come to an end. Amen. 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 In agreement, these programs will be wiped off this earth. We're looking yeah, at spiritual warfare. Yes. And um, for Black History Month, we're celebrating it too. We can say Black history is spiritual warfare, you know. And for non-Blacks, we can say that targeting is spiritual warfare, you know. But we are, it, February is the month that we celebrate, so we're kind of focusing on the struggle of the black history uh, in this country, and we're looking at it from the perspective of spiritual warfare. The best way to look at this is let's start with what does the Bible say about spiritual warfare? In 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5, it discusses the warfare of spirit, saying the weapons we fight with 
are not the weapons of the world, okay? And that's clear with this program, okay? The weapons of this world, it's not. It's just not working. People have been to court. People have been to police departments, can't get a police report, can't get a decent judge. That tells you this is spiritual. So the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. So we, we can't throw cannons at them. We have to take this to the spiritual realm, which means we have to trust God and pray and ask God to, to shut this program down, to lead us to get it shut down. And we're on our way. The secrecy curse is being broken. That's number one. That, that was a key factor. They wanted to keep this program in secrecy. In the name of Jesus, it's going to be exposed to the highest level. And the Bible gives us, uh, instructions on how to break this, how to break that secrecy curse. It says right there in Ephesians 5.11, take no part in the works of darkness. What are you to do about the works of darkness? That means the works of evil, Satanism, witchcraft, all that. Expose them. Ephesians 5.11 says to expose them. Okay, so spiritual warfare. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The most important battle we will fight is not physical or mental. It is the spiritual warfare we undergo as devoted followers of God when the strength and conviction of our faith are continually tested. In this battle, we face not only external forces, but the thoughts and passions within ourselves that may stray from the path of righteousness. Thankfully, we can look to the wisdom of scripture and the armor of God to encourage us in this spiritual war. And that's just saying that it's, it's, it's not an easy uh, warfare. It's not an easy. Well, no war is easy, and um, you're gonna, we're going to be tested. Our faith is going to be tested. We have to pass the test. We have to know that God is God. That He would not allow something like this to exist if He could not fix it. And the way you stay strong is to stay in the Word of God. The scripture, wisdom of scripture, and the armor of God. And um, this is a spiritual warfare prayer. Strengthen our faith, dear God. Forgive our sins so that we may be clean in our righteousness. God, make us brave so we can stand and fight the spiritual battles in our lives and in this world. Give us your wisdom, God, and discernment so we won't be caught off guard. Mm. Together, God, we'll win because in truth, you already have. While evil still roams, the power of your name and your blood rises up to defeat and bring us victory against every evil planned against us. While malicious actions may disturb us, mm, we use the armor of God yet you have given us to stand firm. You will bring justice in due time for all the harm and needless violence aimed at out at your children. Until then, God, we remain in your presence. We're aligned with your purposes, and we look forward to you as the supreme commander and protector. Help us, God, to avoid temptation and deliver us from evil. Lord, you are the mighty one, the one who will ultimately bring all evil to light. With you, 
Jesus, we are safe. Amen. Some of these scriptures to keep us strong. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. That's what he does. That's what he's doing in the hospitals. Masquerading as an angel of light and turning hospitals into eugenic headquarters where they're literally uh, doing studies on how to kill and torture people. Mm. Deuteronomy 28.7, the Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against us, that they will be defeated before us. Amen. They will come at us from one direction, but flee from us in seven. Deuteronomy 28.7, thank you. Ephesians 6.11 says to put on the full armor of God. And that means everything he gave us, his word, the prayer, the intercession, put on everything. Put on the full armor of God so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. Mm -hmm. Ephesians 6.12, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. But our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities. Yes against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. And that just means we are not fighting a flesh and blood, a regular war here. These people want uh, people to believe that, you know, oh, it's an enemy, even the wars they have going on, oh, it's the other side. No, that, that is spiritual. Those wars are coming from Satanists planning them out to get people killed so they can have earthly power. So God, we have to come against rituals. We have to come against the, ki the killing demon. We have to come against everything these demons are doing. Because when the killing stops, when the sicknesses stop, they're out of business. They just don't want us to find that out. So we need God's people to, to, to usurp that authority these demons have taken. And that's by usurping the authority mainly of the White House done some damage in there all right ephesians 6 13 therefore put on the full armor of god so that when the day of evil comes we may be able to stand our ground and after we've done everything we can just stand that's all you can do once you've done everything you know you did everything god told you to do you did it to the best of your diligence you just stand isaiah 54 17 tells us no weapon formed against us will prosper and that we will refute you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of God, and this is their vindication for me, declares the Lord. God is going to tell that whispering demon, that discrediting campaign, God will take care of it. You just have to trust him. And I know it hurts when you're going through it. Uh, the discrediting campaigns is, is just beyond inhumane. But um, yeah. God's word tells us. What was that? I said, yeah, that's right. Yeah, the discrediting campaigns are horrible, but God tells us, the word of God tells us is that he will He will, He will, will deliver us, us from them all, that no weapon formed against us shall prosper, and that we will be vindicated. And I've seen it. I've seen so many people that worked against me, did some horrible things, you know, said horrible things. And I tell you, and I didn't, you know, I, you don't wish anyone evil because that's not our purpose. I I wish for the extinguishment, the extinguishing of evil, you know, and everybody behind it. Mm. 
But um, yeah. those who did these things, you know, I couldn't believe. I, I lived to see the day, and only experience can teach this, that everything they had done to me came back to them triple fold. Some of them even dead. And those that mm -hmm. said horrible things about me, they lived, they lived through horrible things happening to them that they wished they could have lived a life like mine. And it's just, mm -hmm. it just doesn't pay to be evil. And it doesn't pay to do the whispering campaign, the discrediting campaign. It's, this is all part of the evilness with this targeted program. And that's why it, it just has to be destroyed because if people don't have a foundation in Christ, it is too easy. Uh, you know, the goal they want is suicide. If you if you don't have a foundation in Christ, I don't know how you're going to make it through this. But okay, most we're doing spiritual warfare scriptures. James 4, 8, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts and the double-minded. Yeah, pray to God. Mm. All right. Uh Luke 137, for no word from God will ever fail. Amen. First Peter 5 8, be alert and sober mind. And of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We cannot even afford to, to just even wink an eye because that demon is looking for who he can get. So let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. First Thessalonians 5, 6. <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry. So thirsty. Okay. Uh, Psalms 84, 11. For the Lord God is the sun and the shield. The Lord bestows favor mm. and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Mm. Romans 8.37. Knowing all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loves us. 1 John 5.4. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. 1 John 5.5. 5. Me. <clears throat> who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. 2 Corinthians 10, 3, 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish, demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets its itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, 3, 5. Matthew 18, 18 to 20. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything, they ask for it. It will be done for them by my Father in heaven. But where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them also. And that means just like we're doing, two or three of us are gathered in his name and we're praying. We can believe change is coming. We don't know when it's coming, 
but we know change is coming. Favorite Psalms 91. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High, who rests in the shadow of the Almighty, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and him whom I trust. Surely he will save us from the foulest snare and from the deadly pestilence. God will cover us with his feathers and under his wings we will find refuge. His faithfulness will be our shield and rampart. We will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. Our word tells us that a thousand, they can plan their disasters. A thousand can fall at our side, 10,000 at our right hand. But when you covered by the blood, nothing will come near you. We will only observe with our eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If we say the Lord is our refuge and we make the most high God our dwelling, no harm will overtake us. No disaster will come near our houses. For God will command his angels. Thank you, Lord. Concerning us to guard us in all our ways. The angels will lift us up in their hands so that we do not strike our foot against the stone. We will tread on the lion and the cobra. We will tread on the tra we will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because God loves us. He says he will rescue us, that he will protect us because we acknowledge his name. He will call on us and we will answer him. And we, he, God, will be with us in trouble. He will deliver us and honor us as we honor him. God will honor us with long life. We will satisfy him and show him our salvation. God, we thank you, Heavenly Father, for that scripture, Psalms 91. That is the one of the most important uh, spiritual warfare scriptures I've come across. Okay, so now we're going to take a little look at waging spiritual warfare on racial injustice, especially for Black History Month. How do you wage spiritual warfare on racial injustice? First of all, you recognize that that demon spirit of racism, which had slavery, that, that's a demon spirit. That's a killing spirit. That's an evil spirit. That's an inhumane spirit. It is not of this it's just not it's not flesh and blood that whole thing that they did was through satanism we come against it because they're trying to resurrect it now we bind and rebuke it in the name of jesus so we're looking at waging spiritual warfare and racial injustice take a look um this is from chalmers uh, I'm not familiar with them, so I'm walking by faith, hoping they're uh, sincere. Because many ministries that target uh, vulnerable populations, uh, these demons get into those ministries very easily. And um, especially health ministries, they just get the people injected and it's something else. But let's see. All right, when we look at problems as massive uh, material poverty and systemic injustice, these deep issues, they root in history and culture and branches that spread seemingly into every corner of the world. It is natural to feel overwhelmed. Where do we even begin to push back on things so manifestly beyond our control? Two temptations always seem ready to offer a simple path out. The first is 
a pull to give into the weight of things, resign ourselves to the status quo, and get on with our lives. But such apathy is not an option for followers of Jesus who are actively engaged in the world, reconciling all things to himself, making peace by the blood of his cross, Colossians 1.20. And it's certainly not a comforting choice for those on the receiving end of oppression and suffering in this life. The second is to take quick action, but in ways that perpetuate a false meaning between spiritual approaches, prayer, personal piety, and acts of kindness and preaching, secular approaches, voting, activism, separating these often has an effect in the church of elevating spiritual actions as the only good and right things to do, while putting down other approaches as sinful or misguided at best. In the world beyond the church, that script is flipped with spiritual actions dismissed as ineffective or even as a fig leaf to cover refusal to address problems. As we've shared through fighting the spiritual battle in the heavenly realms and the depths of human hearts through prayer and faithful obedience to God's word is real work. This work needs to be done because human beings are not just bodies, but whole people who bear the image of God as the body. Soul, mind, affections, will, relationships with God, self and others, and at the same time, to ignore the physical world around us with all its brokenness is to fundamentally misunderstand the fullness of why Jesus came to earth in the first place. Every physical problem in this world is also spiritual in nature. Demonic forces are real. Throughout this series, They've been looking at ways that all five of causes, ways of causes of poverty, how it impacts American life around the issue of racial injustice and how each needs to be addressed by God's kingdom community in the local church. One cause, perhaps more than any other, looks at the way the spiritual and physical realms cannot be separated. It is also one of the most ignored in Western churches. That's demonic forces. Indeed, what else? Would we call it when one group of people sets themselves over another and who they consider truly human and worthy of love and care? What else would we call it when a class of people sees another class of people as tools for their own economic prosperity? What else do we call it but demonic when people refuse to hear the cries of their fellow human beings simply because listening well and acting justly would require changing in their own behavior and sacrificing their comfort. This should be obvious to us as scripture has plenty to say about the ways Satan and his legions are actively involved in the affairs of this world. Mm. Yes, God is still sovereign over all things, including demonic forces. But after the fall, the fact that God allows bad things to happen is not the same thing as God personally doing those things. God is not a puppet master, and he allows his fallen creatures to continue to act even when some of their actions are sinful and destructive. Under this framework, God allows Satan's significant latitude to wage war on humanity so much that the Bible refers to Satan as the god of this age, the prince of this world, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, John 12.31, Ephesians 2.2. 2. 
In fact, Satan has sufficient power over unbelievers that they are described as following his ways and being under his dominion. Ephesians 2.2 and Colossians 1.13. Satan and his demonic minions, he is not omnipotent, omniscient, or omnipresent, and he needs help to per perpetrate his schemes. Yeah, but that's, that's, he's using the money. That's how he gets his, uh, you know, informant in his legions. Got to get the money out of the devil's hands. All right, some have been working to undermine and distort. They have been working to undermine and distort God's design for the world since Genesis 3. Satan seeks the downfall of the righteous, Job 1-2. He is seen as the source. Some blasphemous, blasphemous and destructive words, Matthew 16-22, and deceptive false doctrines. He fills the hearts even of church members with evil thoughts that lead them to act sinfully. He roams about seeking whom he took someone to devour. He disguises himself as an angel of light, and he can even influence public policy mm. through, through tempting leaders. Yeah. yeah, corrupted leaders want to put money in their pockets at the expense of killing other people, right? He's working, the devil's working, Behind the worldly wisdom of selfish ambition, James 3.14. There are the spiritual realities behind the idols of the world, 1 Corinthians 10. How do we know when demonic forces are at work? The consistent aim of Satan and his demons is to thwart the worship of God by any means at their disposal. That's what they COVID did. They shut down churches. They thwarted. They threw off the worship of God. They use a disease to do it too. Sometimes they work overtly with displays of power that trap people in false religions and superstitions. Often they work covertly too, blinding people to the spiritual realm and convincing them to place their self-confidence, wealth, or worldly powers in them. They use individual sin and temptation, as well as seemingly immovable systems of the world. They sow discouragement in the slow pursuit of righteousness and plant the false urgency of passing fast. Even more, because Satan is the deceiver, sometimes he works to throw us off God's design by just enough that we can make mistakes, that we can mistake his work for God. Perhaps nothing is more demonic than idolatry. In turning aside from the worship of an obedience to the one true God, we are not, as we may think, pursuing an alternate good, but an ultimate evil. And this is true even maybe especially when we seek to locate our ultimate authority within ourselves. When we look inside, we may think we're becoming as gods, but as literature scholar Wilson writes, whoever establishes themselves against Jesus is subsumed by the devil. Each person imitates Satan's desire to be one's own God without recognizing any association with the devil. All idols distort God's image, leading us to seek him where he is not, but also to deny his image in those we find inconvenient, dehumanizing. And others, it's always a downstream effect 
of idolatry, idols, which are fronts for our enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, John 10, 10, demand human sacrifice mm, and call us to justify the ways we harm or fail to protect our sisters and brothers. To see this, it can be helpful to consider the opposite of God's commands or ways that he describes himself. Anytime we see people and systems pursuing an anti-ten commandments or anti-fruit of the spirit way of life, that is the work of the demons is present. It is attempting to us, it is tempting us to trust our own sinful hearts instead of God's words of life. Paul says as much. The acts of the flesh are obvious: sexual immorality, impurity, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, factions, um, envy drunkenness, orgies, and the like, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, Galatians 5.19. How do we address demonic forces? Whenever we encounter evil in the world, we must remember that the real battle we have in this world is not flesh and blood, but we are battling forces of darkness, Ephesians 6.12. We're battling Satanism, Satan. And true victory over the power of Satan is not ours to win. Jesus already won it, Romans 16, 20, Revelations 20, 10. We have to live out his victory. We have a savior. The fall was caused by our sin, but also trapped us in spiritual darkness. We could never simply do better under our own power. As a theologian, Horton writes, what Adam and Israel failed to do, namely drive the serpent from God's holy garden and extend his reign to the ends of the earth, the last Adam and true Israel accomplishes once and for all. We need the Lord to rise up and bring justice and salvation and to remove the deception of the evil one from our hearts. We need him still to keep us from growing weary in loving mercy, doing justice, and pursuing righteousness and to give us strength to repent and to forgive. If we forget this, we end up pursuing strategies that dig deeper into broken relationships between God's image bearers. Satan wants the church to be divided and ineffective. And if we ignore the reality of his attacks on us, we are apt to forget that our anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. This is vital to our continued faithfulness as an alternative witness showing God's beauty community as a testimony against the ways of the world. Seemingly, conflicts can be resolved when we remember that no one is beyond the seriousness of repentance and conversion through Christ's power. We need to name the evil in the world located in Satan so that we remember that those who oppose us in this life are not the true enemies, but fellow image bearers in need of grace. We have to live out Jesus' victory. There are key ways in which we live now with confidence in Jesus' power over Satan. The first and most obvious is through prayer and what we traditionally think of as spiritual warfare. We're to put on the whole armor of God, Ephesians 6.10, Truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, salvation, and the word of God. 
and stand firm against the temptations and attacks of the evil one. Submit all to God and resist the devil and he must flee. Resist the devil through refusing to allow lies and idols to reign in our lives in the church and cause the devil to flee. Second form of spiritual warfare requires a bit more thought to unpack. When Paul writes to the church in Ephesus about the wonders of their salvation by grace through faith and not by works, he brings his message to an interesting crescendo. Believers are God's handwork. We're created in Christ Jesus. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians 2:10. This theme is echoed again in Titus 3 and Romans 6 and other passages. The major purpose of our salvation is to do good works in the world that demonstrates Christ's power over sin death and the devil. It stands to reason then that a key place where Satan attacks us is our obedience to Christ and we can outwit him and thwart his schemes when we practice faithful obedience and forgiveness in the kingdom community of the church. So what are, what are these good works? The things to which we are called by God's word to love him with all our hearts and to love our neighbors as ourselves and the unfolding of that summary in the law, the prophets and the apostles teaching, all true obedience is in response to God's commands and we cannot add to them or subtract from them. We don't get to pick which of God's words we'll obey and which ones we'll ignore or try to offset our sins of omission. Of course, we're not earning salvation by obedience, but reflecting God's work in our hearts and living into our identity as he redeemed people, as redeemed people. And he, we will not obey perfectly, but we must confess and repent when we fail and bear fruit in keeping with obedience. In this, we stand firm as God's kingdom community, becoming confronted, conformed, excuse me, to the image of Christ and resisting the temptation to justify disobedience in this world. This is how we are able to live together in hope. Instead of dividing one another in fear of losing our comforts, a church filled with the power of the Holy Spirit is a church of prayer warriors and faithful worshipers of God in spirit and in truth. A church filled with the power of the Holy Spirit is also a body of believers boldly spending, spending themselves on behalf of others. Isaiah 58:10, declaring and demonstrating the kingdom of God here and now by addressing false gods, destructive practices, broken systems, broken people, and demonic forces by the power, and binding off these forces, demonic forces by the power of Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, was that a, a you know, waging spiritual warfare and racial injustice? Uh, I didn't focus that much on the racial injustice, but uh, it's a good guide on uh, spiritual warfare um, and the sins and the, the horrific, you know, basically saying the atrocities in the world, don't even look at them as just an occurrence. Those are things that have been plotted and planned spiritually. They don't just happen. Everything that's happening on earth does come through the spiritual realm. 
Okay, so let's take a look now. Uh, I wanted to do that. Okay. Some of our, our Black history, we're going to look at our Black first. We looked at our open heart surgeon last week, Dr. Daniel Hale. Well, yeah, before I go, any questions? Yeah, before I go on. Any questions? No, no everything is clear. Oh, okay. All right. So, um, yeah, we looked at last week, Dr. Daniel Hale Williams, open heart, the first black or white open heart surgeon. And uh, you could always look him up. He performed the very first operation. Uh, Dr. Dan, as he was affectionately known, he founded Chicago's Providence Hospital in 1891. He was in the first black nurses training school. Then we looked at um, was it George Washington? No, I think it was Denmark Vesey. It was just Denmark uh, Vesey. We looked at him. He was another first. Yeah, he was the first uh, revolutionist that uh, planned a revolt on American soil, and they used their informants to bring him down. He was from eight, he was from 1822. Denmark Vesey claimed a place in history by organizing the first extensive slave revolt on American soil in Charleston, South Carolina. The plot was simple but daring. Seize the city, kill all who stood in the way, and if necessary, escape to the Caribbean or Africa. He had a serious plan, and unfortunately, uh, they got informants to turn him in, and the informants, the American government paid for for the rest of their lives. They're doing it, they're, what they did in slavery, they're doing now. They're, pay, they're paying people to be informants. And this man was a free black man. He was not a slave, and he also had money. They said he had won some lottery money, something to that extent. And he did. He could have just lived his his best life and say, "That's it. I'm out. I'm free. I'm not a slave." And uh, he chose to go back. He despised slavery, and he went back to help other people to help him to do a revolt. He used his money to buy the guns and all of that. And they used the old sorry. That's called race pitting, and they do it today. If you're Spanish, they'll put a Spanish person against you. You're Chinese, they'll put a Chinese. If you're black, they'll put a black. They'll put a, if you're white, they'll put a white against you. It, it's a demon spirit. Horrible demon spirit. Um, okay. So let's see. These are, um, a Paul Lawrence Dunbar. I've heard of him. I'm not sure of his accomplishments. I wonder if I, did, I didn't do it before. All right. Here's a Paul Lawrence Dunbar. He lived 1872 to 1906. He, this is a salute to Black history, Black first. He did something as the first. Let's see. Poetry, novels, short stories, magazine articles, and song lyrics, all these literary forms were mastered by Paul Lawrence Dunbar. He was the first Black person recognized nationally as a creative writer. Wow, he was known as the poet of his people. So he was one of the first liter literary scholars. Paul Lawrence Dunbar was born in Dayton, Ohio. 
1872, he was the son of Joshua and Matilda Dunbar, both former slaves. As a child, he played a, excuse me, as a child, he displayed a pro propensity for writing. While attending Central High in Dayton, he was elected president of the Literary Society, editor of the school paper, and creator of the class song sung at his graduation in 1891. He was the only Black in his high school class. Dunbar wanted to attend college, but funds were short, so he had to take a job as an elevator operator making $4 a week. While operating the elevator, he spent idle time writing verses. He eventually developed a style of writing in Black dialect as well as in simple verse. Dunbar refined his poetry and approached a publisher of a local newspaper who was so impressed that he printed the poem. In 1891, the Rochester Herald became the first newspaper to print a Dunbar poem. By 1892, when he was 20, Dunbar had become so dedicated that he devoted full time to his writing. In December 1892, a publisher accepted his first collection of poems and he entitled them Oak and Ivy. With the publication of this collection, he gained notoriety and a legion of fans, including the famed critic William Howells. He was largely due to Howell's it was largely due to Howell's endorsement of his work that Dunbar gained a greater following and he became a fixture on the lecture circuit. Dunbar was asked to speak at a variety of assemblies, including the West End Club of Toledo, Ohio. On that occasion, the participants prior to Dunbar making his presentation denounced blacks as intellectually inferior. But Dunbar, he had gave his recitation and chose to read his poems that expressed race and pride. His reading was a poetic answer to the racial insults. Oak and Ivory was enthusiastically received and the public asked for more. He quickly published his second volume, Majors and Minors, which won rave reviews in Harvard Harper's Magazine in 1894. Dunbar's work attracted publishers, and in 1896, when he was only 24, a major publishing house produced his third collection called Lyrics of Lowly Life. The volume was immensely popular and firmly established Dunbar as a successful writer. Sparked by the reception of his works, Dunbar produced additional volumes of poetry and branched out. He tried his hand successfully at four novels and articles for such highly regarded publications as the Saturday Evening Post. His appearances on the lecture circuit also increased. Dunbar married Alice Ruth Moore, a schoolteacher, in 1898 but the pace of success took its toll on his physical condition and his marriage. Wow. In the span of a decade, he wrote three short story collections and a novel title entitled The Uncalled. So the Uncalled, churning, churning out such a volume of work in such a brief period of time had a harmful effect on him. 
he contracted tuberculosis. Now, I think they was from back then. This is the second one with TB. They was giving it out. He contracted tuberculosis, and his condition was aggravated by his drinking. His marriage failed, and on February 9th, 1906, he died of pneumonia. And he was only 34. Paul Lawrence Studbar only lived to be 34. Can you imagine he made history and he only lived to 34? One can only imagine what heights he could have reached had he lived longer. Nevertheless, in penning his obituary, the Boston Evening Transcript attempted to capture his importance by noting he has given value and permanence to the folklore of the race in the country. Life had ended too soon for the man that Frederick Douglass had once called the most promising young colored man in America. Paul Lawrence Dunbar, one of the first literary scholars to get his books published, his writings, his literature, his poems. Yeah. Okay. Another first is I've heard of let me see. William Grant. Okay, for the symphony. Let me see. One second. Uh, one of the first black college graduates. Oh. Okay. Chief Justice. Let's do the Chief John Sweat Rock. Let's take a look at him. Eighteen twenty-five. Another short life to 1866. I wonder what happened to him. Did they give him TB too? Let's see. John Sweat Rock. He faced a formidable enemy. Mm. The Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court. And only when Chief Justice Roger B. Taney died could Rock become the first Black ever to be admitted to practice before the U.S. Supreme Court. Rock also was one of the first to win, to coin the phrase, Black is beautiful. Historians believe that John Rock was born in 1825 in Salem, New Jersey, to free parents. Rock was educated in the Salem public schools until he was 19. Subsequently, he taught in a one-room schoolhouse and he gave private lessons from 1844 to 1848. Interested in medicine, Rock began studying under two white turned to dentistry and he opened an office in Philadelphia in 1850. Later, he earned his MD degree from the American Medical College in Philadelphia. He moved to Boston. He was admitted to the Massachusetts Medical Society. In 1852, he began practicing both medicine and dentistry. John Rock was called upon to treat a number of slaves who were being harbored in the area. It was an outgrowth of his activity that he became an ab abolitionist. In 1855, he joined the effort to desegregate Boston public schools. Rock's advocacy activities were delayed when a throat ailment hampered his ability to speak. Mm, that eugenics been around a long time. Wow. 
he decided to go to France for surgery. Well, he had enough sense. He knew he couldn't get no surgery in the United States. Wow. This is deep. After the successful operation, the surgeon advised Rock to suspend speaking engagements and to limit his medical practice. Rock heeded the second bit of advice, but continued his abolitionist activities spearheading Black is Beautiful campaign. Rock spoke at many major Black meetings. In 1858, he predicted that sooner or later, the clashing of arms will be heard in this country and the Black man's services will be needed. In 1860, he said, it's not difficult to see that the idea of Black inferior, inferior, inferiority is a mere subterfuge to bolster up the infamous treatment which greets the colored man in this slavery-cursed land. That is a cursed land. Two years later, he challenged Boston's discrimination in jobs and public accommodations. In 1863, when Congress authorized the commissioning of Black troops Excuse me. To fight in the Civil War, Rock turned ooh, excuse me, <clears throat> to recruiting. He was one of the major forces in the formation of the 54th and 55th Massachusetts Infantry, two segregated units, and in 1864, as a delegate from Massachusetts to the National Convention of Colored Men in Boston, he pressed for equal opportunity and equal rights that our brave men are fighting for. His abolitionist activity spurred Rock to earn a law degree. Wow, he, this was a doctor, now he got a law degree. He, he was a dentist, MD, and now a law degree. Mm. However, he got to, he went uh, again. His abolitionist activity spurred Rock to earn a law degree. However, Chief Justice Taney, whose rulings frequently supported slavery, prevented Rock from being admitted to practice before the U.S. Supreme Court. Mm. When Taney died in 1864, this obstacle was lifted, Whew. and Rock was granted the right to his practice. The order that prompted this historic admission noted the order that prompted this historic admission noted that for the first time a Negro was admitted to practice before the high tribunal. John, John Rock, an attorney of ability and good name in the city of Boston. Rock was only able to savor his triumph for one year because in 1885 he caught a cold and later developed tuberculosis. And they killed all the Black first with tuberculosis on practice. Wow, this eugenics demon is something else. This eugenics, I mean, this stuff has got to be destroyed. On December 3rd, 1866, at the age of 41, look how much he did by 41, John Rock died in the home where he lived with his mother and son. He had achieved many goals, but his great contribution was in crusading for Black rights before and during the Civil War. In contrast, Chief Justice Taney, who was an obstacle to Rock's practice before the Supreme Court, he died an object of ridicule. Mm. 
Wow. They just took so many black first out with that ter- tuberculosis. Now it's heart disease. They're doing it. Continuing now to not make it as obvious, they're doing it to white people, a few, much less than the blacks, but they're doing it too. Okay, I'll read one more. I wish they had um, uh, Marcus Garvey, but I guess mm-hmm. okay, let's see. Black first. Uh, okay, uh, this one, I guess. First black uh, college graduate. Okay, 1799 to 1851, John B. Russ Worm, R-U-S-S-W-U-R-M. Two historical firsts belong to John Brown Russ Worm, one of the first black college graduates in the United States, and two, the co-founder of this country's first black newspaper called Freedom Journal. Russ Wern was born a slave in Port Antonio, Jamaica to John Russ Wern, a bachelor and a female slave whose name is not known. In 1807, his father sent him to school in Canada where schools were better than, were better than in Jamaica and discrimination was less prevalent than in the United States. In 1812, Russell's father left Jamaica and he settled in Portland, Maine. There he met and married Susan Blanchard who raised the boy as her own even after her husband died in 1815. She enrolled him in Hebron Academy, a preparatory school in Maine. Then in September 1824, he enrolled in Baldwin College at Brunswick, Maine to study for the ministry. Two years later, he became one of the first of his race to graduate from college in this country. Wow. Anxious, oh boy. We didn't have college graduates till 1851. Amazing. Anxious to be in the center of the free Black population, Russ Warren moved to New York City. Why'd you do that? (laughs) During the winter of 1826 to 27, a a friend provided a home where he and other Black leaders met. And out of this group, the first Black newspaper in the United States called Freedom Journal was born on March 16th, 1827. Initially, the journal was co-edited by Ralph Swarm and the Presbyterian minister Samuel Cornish. However, writers from all over the world contributed to it. In its editorial debut, Russ Worm set the tone for the journal's objective by explaining, we wish to plead our own cause. Too long have others spoken for us. The newspaper's objectives were immediate freedom for slaves, civil and political equality for free blacks, and the providing of truthful information about Africa. Truthful information about Africa. John Russworm's courage in this endeavor can be partially measured by his publication of David Walker's appeal in the journal. In this, Walker was a free Boston black advocated slave, 
he was a free Boston black who advocated slave revolts in the the South. This caused an uproar in both the North and South. Walker later died of mysterious circumstances, tuberculosis. Within six months, the ministerial duties forced Cornish to resign and Rustworm assumed full control. For the first six months, the journal served its purpose as a platform for the abolitionist struggle. The publication began to examine the problems of colonization and the national solidarity race movement. Rustworm eventually embraced the belief that Blacks could never enjoy full American citizenship. On February 14, 1829, he announced that he would be resigning to move to Africa to pursue the question of colonization there. In the African country of Liberia, Rustworm continued to provide a platform for Black causes through the Liberia Herald, a newspaper he edited. From 1824 to 1836, he was one of the first Black colonial agents for the American Colonization Society. For this and for other roles, he mastered several African dialects. In 1835, he resigned from the newspaper in protest over efforts of the American Colonization Society to control the publication. Rustworm refused to let this incident compromise his passion for Africa. And in 1836, he was appointed governor, wow, of Maryland in the Liberia settlement. He proved an efficient and progressive administrator instituting a variety of reforms, including the encouragement of agriculture and trade, the establishment of a court with presiding judges, and the taking of a census in 1843. On June 9, 1851, death ended John Brown Rustworm's illustrious career. Highly praised for his governing skills, he was survived by his wife, Sarah McGill Rustworm, and four of their five children. A monument was erected in his honor and an island was named after him. But his real mark was on the college campus and later as a pioneer in black journalism. And that was John Rustworm, first black newspaper and one of the first black college graduates in the United States. Okay, so that's it for uh, Black History Month and spiritual warfare. Encourage uh, all of us to just stand on uh, making accomplishments. Look at these Black first and know that they did it under worse conditions than we can do it. We can, this uh, eugenics program has to be destroyed, and God has given that task to us, whether we want it or not. It is a job, and it's a needed job. It's a job that has to be done. It has to be taken off this earth. It has to be acknowledged in every hospital, in every state, everywhere they're doing these illegal studies, non-transparent studies, particularly targeting black people, it has to be stopped. In Jesus' name. So with that being said, uh, spiritual warfare is black history. Without a doubt. Any comments? Oh, it's so quiet. 
What did you think, Melvin, uh, Cassandra? Did I get dropped? Hello? Can you hear me? Yeah, like, like, a, right. like around you... that time thing, around the time frame, things were much different for um black. So you have to, you, you know, do, do do things in a manner, you know, to not kind of upset the masses, because usually they will retaliate by like assassination or some form of assassination. Look, like I was surprised to find out what happened to MLK when he got shot. Like he didn't die after he got shot. He died in a hospital. Like he he survived the um shot in Memphis. The bullet, but yeah. I think the police the police killed him. It was him. the hospital, right? The yeah, hospital the hospital. And it was the nurse yeah. that told that she said they took a pillow pillow and, and um stifled them, right? Yeah, like like I'm gonna have to look back into that story to see. But that's not the only one. What's that own famous singer? What's that, Mahalia Jackson? Okay. Like I'm gonna look into her story her story too. I think she died a horrible death too. Like a lot of things happened to um. Mahalia Jackson. Kind of famous. Yeah, Mahalia Jackson. Mahalia. All right, you want me to look that up real quick? Yeah. Mahalia Jackson. How did she die? I believe she was what you call them too. Why she couldn't have any kids? I think she was sterilized. Yeah, they probably, they probably sterilized her. Yeah. Mahalia Jackson, who rose from deep South poverty to world-renowned as a passionate gospel singer, she died of a heart seizure yesterday in a little company of Mary Hospital in Evergreen Park, a Chicago suburb. Look at that. She was only 60 years old. I didn't know she died so young. I'm... She was 60 years old, Mahalia, and had been in poor health for several years. That's unbelievable. What did Mahalia Jackson suffer from? As her schedule became fuller and more demands were placed on her, these episodes became more frequent. This time, the publicly disclosed diagnosis was heart strain and exhaustion. But in private, Jackson's doctors told her that she had a heart attack and sarcoidosis was not in her heart. She never had any children of her own, but she did become a mother to a boy that she met on the streets one day. Oh, wow, that was like, beautiful. They have a story about, that. they have the Lifetime story? What it was talking oh, about, about really? Mahalia not- Jackson. Yeah, she been put through some stuff. Mm. Well, I didn't see, well, she got sick, but it didn't say she had a horrible death. Did the story, the, from the story, you had to look at the own story that portrayed her life. What mm-hmm. she started 
bleeding, and I think the doctors had performed something where she couldn't have any children. Like they performed some type of procedure on her that caused her to constantly bleed out. Oh. Like it was crazy. Like look, they have a movie based based on Mahalia Jackson. It's like they talked about it in a movie where she couldn't have children like like she she wouldn't be able to bear kids. Wow. Yeah. They they. Yeah, she her mother died at five, so they did all probably all kind of experiments. Her father was a minister. She died of a heart seizure. And they portrayed her like she was a heavy smoker in the film. No, you can't be a gospel singer and a smoker. Yeah, that's how they portrayed her on that movie. I don't know who did it, but you got to check it out. The the Mahalia Jackson story. She's from the British Islands. Let me see. Did you put in there? Did, um, did Mahalia Jackson smoke? I don't think she smoked. It killed her before that. <laughs> like in a movie, you you, you know, out, outside of her singing gospel, like I'm talking about her private life. Yeah, I know, but I, I don't know. I don't think the movie should have depicted that. I, I, I me, per, I don't think. I don't know. Um, let's see. I don't see any evidence that she smoked. I put. Uh, oh no, they put both. All right, let me see. Ten things to know about the Queen of Gospel, Mahalia Jackson, and this is from Essence. Although strictly a gospel singer during her time, Mahalia Jackson set the tone for gospel music and she paved the way in some instances providing literal mentorship for household names and modern day artists who sing both secular and gospel songs on April 3rd Lifetime will premiere Robin Roberts Presents Mahalia, a biopic on the iconic singer starring Daniel Brooks. Is that what you talk about? You saw that now on Lifetime? Like I'm going to look back into it like it was, it's been some time since I watched it. But I did oh, okay. see it like it was a lifetime movie on movie sites. Right. All right. So Jackson, who died at the age of 60, she lived her life fully according to the word of God. Her voice carried people through from the 40s to the 70s, crossing boundaries, even when racism threatened her at her front door. Her efforts in her career and community became the blueprint for a number of artists that followed. 
but only now is the fullness of her story being told. Here are 10 facts to know about the beloved singer ahead of her biopic debut. It all started in her youth. Born and raised in New Orleans, Louisiana, Jackson began her singing career at the age of four. Jackson's father was a preacher, so she grew up singing in their church, Plymouth Rock Baptist Church. And in 1927, at the age of 16, Jackson moved to Chicago, Illinois, where she sang all over the city in various churches. By 1928, Jackson joined the Johnson Gospel Singers, which was one of the first professional singing gospel groups. Taking care of business, although singing was her passion, Mahalia ran her own businesses to make money because she refused to sing in nightclubs. Wow. Jackson owned her own beauty salon and flower shop, which were called Mahalia's Beauty Salon and Mahalia's House of Flowers. Oh, good for her. Yeah, you know, like there was still a screen, a screen discrimination and stuff around that time frame. There was one. Yeah, discrimination, yeah. like with with Jim Crow and stuff in the South. Yeah. And it was even a lot of discrimination and stuff up north too. Not as bad as the South probably was, but and you know she'd been put through it, having to perform certain places and still have have to go through back doors and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Outside of the church, Mahalia Jackson felt strongly about civil rights issues for Black Americans in the 60s. At the request of Martin Luther King Jr., Jackson was present for the Montgomery bus boycott and other events that pushed inclusion for Black people in America. She even performed for the March on Washington in 1963, singing, I've been bulked and I've been scorned. On that day, it is sad that King was unsure of what to say and had something else written to address the crowd. Jackson yelled out to him, tell him about the dream. Martin, tell him about the dream. And Dr. King set his papers aside and he delivered what we now know as I have a dream. Also, she encouraged him. Well, look at her on the mic, too. Moving on up to fame. In 1947, Mahalia Jackson was given the title Queen of Gospel Music for her recording of Move On Up a Little Higher. The song became the first top-selling gospel song and, kept, and captured Jackson's career, giving her international fame. Although Jackson was not one to go to perform at nightclubs, she was a big fan of the blues. Mahalia Jackson was particularly influenced by Ma Rainey and Bessie Smith. Growing up on the sounds of the blues, much of the musical pedance was seen and put to use in her own gospel music. Her relationship with secular music, although a fan of the blues, Mahalia Jackson was steadfast in her belief in God, and she refused to perform at secular places, especially places that sold alcohol like Disneyland and the Apollo Theater. She did, however, make music with the late great Duke Ellington, although some people saw this as hypocritical 
Given that Ellington was not, in fact, a gospel musician or singer, Jackson saw this as a musical opportunity and a chance to further her reach. Okay, Mahalia Jackson inspires and mentors. She not only reached the top, but also reached back to be a mentor and help to younger singers in her time. She mentored and promoted singers like Aretha Franklin, Mavis Staples, and she gave singer and actress Dela Reese her start and introduction to show business. When Reese was 13 years old, she traveled on the road with Jackson singing on Jackson's shows. In an interview, Reese recalled Jackson being more strict than her own mother. Although Jackson had rules in place for the young artist, Reese recalls learning the art of proficient and effective communications through her. Mahalia Jackson and real estate. A Jackson, as Jackson accumulated wealth, she invested her money into real estate and housing. When looking for a house in the Illinois neighborhood called Chatham, she was met with a lot of controversy being a black woman trying to move into an all white suburb. After being denied by many, she finally purchased her first house from a white surgeon who was a fan of her music. She was the second black homeowner on her block and she was met with much resistance. Her white neighbors shot up her door they threatened to bomb her house, but she remained where the, she but she was but she remained where she was, and eventually many of the white neighbors moved out and gave room for more black families to move in. The neighborhood eventually became filled with black professionals. Wow, wow, that racism is something else. Mm. Finally. Mahalia Jackson and James Cleveland. Oh, I didn't know them two hooked up. Mahalia Jackson, a renowned gospel singer and composer, James Cleveland, were not only good friends, but also inspirational for one another. On her album, Amazing Grace, his Southern California community choir supported her vocals. Oh, I wish they would have hooked up. Oh, okay. Okay, that seems for Mahalia. No, I don't think she smoked. Mm -mm. If she was going to be a smoker, she might as well just go. She would have just made some money in singing in the nightclubs. I think Lifetime, you know, discredited her, defamed her by even putting an actress acting like they smoked. And even if that was the case, she did. It, it, that wasn't the place to put it. Okay, guys. Well, all right. Um, thank you for praying with me. God bless you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for praying with me, both all of you guys. I, I got another caller here. I don't know. But uh God bless you and may you all may we all have a blessed week. Everything we get want to get accomplished, let it get accomplished. Melvin, how's school real quick? It's fine. I signed the paperwork and I'm driving in the automatic like I wanted to. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> when is this program done? April. April 1st. Mel, that's around the corner. We're going into March. Oh, wow. Yep. That was quick, Mel. Yeah, that was quick. 
That was quick. I graduated in April, and I'm driving an automatic like I wanted. So I say, hell, hell with that manual. Yeah. I can't constantly keep looking. You know, some people can do it, but it's just not for me. Driving and trying to keep an eye on the road, maintaining that and changing the gears and stuff. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Nah, mm mm. We in America, you ain't in, you know, Haiti or something. Uh uh-uh. uh. I'd be in, they'd have to get me one of the, you know, I'd have to get a 2023 uh, top of the line car. Do that, that that's like a lot dangerous work. A lot of them people are doing it. Like a lot of those truck drivers, like they look down at people driving a manual. I mean, driving an automatic, the automatic is, it's kind of like a new thing where the, Gears are automatically automatically switching for you, as opposed to you switching the gears yourself. No, that's dangerous. No, like somebody, that's dangerous. I would not. Uh, uh-uh, nah. This gear switch for you and all of that. I didn't know all of that. Yeah, no, no, no. the automatic, just like you driving in a car, like you know the the, the machine, the comp- the computer automatically switch the gears, like when you going up into the high. The high gears, like the higher miles per hour, and you're going but, back but, down but into can, the low. You can use your brakes and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, that's all you're using. Oh. It's just, just your brakes, the brakes, the, the, the machine automatically well, doesn't put you for you. Right, as long as you have control. Yeah, I do. Yep. Just accelerating and breaking, that's it. <laughs> and, and I'm I'm satisfied with that. No problem with it whatsoever. Oh, well, that's beautiful. Well, God bless you all. You have a blessed day. Love you. Thank you for everything. Okay, good night. God bless you too. Yeah. Good night. Good night. Yeah, good, good night, everybody. So, yes, good night. Good night, Mel. Thanks for sharing. All right, bye-bye.